Hey, this is Jonathan, and welcome to Your People First, the podcast that showcases HR and reward best practices. I'm delighted to have you here, and now it's time to put your people first. This podcast is brought to you by Buddy, an HR and payroll software. Hi, this is Jonathan, and I welcome you to the first show of Your People First, a podcast that will be talking about HR and payroll matters. Today, we have our first guest, Joseph K. Muscat, who is an inclusion and diversity consultant for neo-diverse talent in the workplace and entrepreneurs. So, Joseph, first of all, welcome to our show. Well, thank you for having me. So, Joseph, I know the introduction was a bit of a mouthful. Can you explain maybe a little bit what what you do? Sure. Well, let's explain what neodiversity is to begin with. So, neodiversity is defined, was originally defined by Jody Singer around 1997. And she was trying to, frankly, understand her family history with neodiversity. Because you see, her mother, herself, and her daughter are all autistic. And the definition on its own is defined as changing how society perceives neo-diverse people. And it's recognizing that we all have different ways of thinking, different mindsets. Now, since then, neo-diversity has expanded in a, in a, to, as an umbrella to include other terms. So when we talk about neo-diversity now, we talk about dyslexia, ADHD, dyscalculia, dyspraxia, autism, and... There's another one, but I'm losing my train of thought here. And that's fine. <laughs> but, but we're talking about those group of people. And we're also t- particularly talking about, you know, in regards, they're generally classified in the gray because you will have high-functioning individuals um, or even, you know, mid-range to low-range individuals who have college, university degrees. You know, so you're going to have your, your Einsteins, you're going to have your data entry, you're going to have your people working in the car wash. But the most important thing is recognizing that we do not allow human potential to be wasted. And for that to happen, we have to create proper systems in place where they can excel. So when we take a look in the workplace, for example, is the workplace properly designed for neo-diverse individuals where they can succeed? Are are proper accommodations being provided for them? When we take a look at entrepreneurship, well, this in regards to that, frankly, one third of entrepreneurs are neo-diverse. And, and, and probably on, on, on that aspect. So we're saying that businesses and employers aren't necessarily aware of how they potentially handle this. But, um, and obviously, there's a big spectrum of businesses out there. There are the Microsofts and the big guys. There's you know, the micro businesses like, like ourselves. So if I had to see, because I might not even be conscious of having... Um, neurodiverse people on my team. So what would be the first thing, if I'm listening to this, that I should be looking at to potentially identify and see if I need any accommodations after all? Well, we have to be careful with identification, okay? Because first off, an employer or manager is not qualified to, to identify people. Now, this all comes back to now, how do we... First off, you already most likely are employing someone who's neurodiverse. Yep, in, in fact, we are. <laughs> you guys are. And the other aspect is, what are, we, what, are, what are you doing as a company to encourage or make it easier for neo-diverse individuals to be able to apply and go through the interview and onboarding process? And 
that requires, are you developing a proper system? So let's take a look at the current system, all right? When we take a look at the current system of how we run a business, it's designed in regards to management, it's getting the right people in who can basically do point A to point B to point C in a fast, seamless manner to get our KPIs and our profits, okay? Mm -hmm. And that actually filters out a lot of potential talent, yeah. right? So that now means that, that the system's been designed for one type of diversity, which is now known as neurotypical people, you know, considered yeah. to be normal. And what is normal? Uh, so, so when we take a look at that aspect, then the system has been designed for that one particular person. And it's not just business, it's even education, it's society in general has been created for that one type of diversity. So anything outside of that diversity is seen as being a disability. Yeah. Not normal. Not normal. So that means we have to change the system. A system that recognizes people's strengths and supports their challenges. So it's now not an issue of identifying or recognizing it's more of an issue of, are we creating a proper system where we are inclusive of everyone? So, for example, we've been talking about um, in the neodiversity community in regards to, is it a safe place to disclose? Yeah. All right? And creating safe environments where someone could potentially disclose without facing any obstacles. Now the topic of conversation in the neodiversity community is, why should I have to disclose? you should be creating a proper environment for me to begin with where I won't need to disclose. Yeah, fa fair enough. So, I, I mean, we've had people which came up to us and disclosed, and I think that maybe helps an employer which has no clue. So how do I create processes that are inclusive enough that someone doesn't need to disclose and potentially fits right in? And how do team members, because obviously there are the employers, there's the HR managers, then there's the employees, which some of which are and some are not neurodiverse. So how do you get that training of inclusiveness across the board so the whole organization can that make that person really fit in and maximize their potential? Because after all, I believe this is what it's all about, allowing people to maximize their potential regarding less of um, their neurodiversity um, status. Absolutely. So there's a number of levels to that question that needs answering. <clears throat> so let's start with the first level. The first level is universal design principles, okay? What is universal design? Universal design principles is creating a structure that is inclusive for everyone. And it's having the, the consciousness to think about what you're going to apply and how it's going to affect a number of people. So let's use a very easy example. You're a company, you decide to install a ramp for uh, unloading and unloading particular products coming in from delivery people, okay? And you spent a particular cost to that ramp and structuring and what have you. But, and then of course, you know, through the months coming by, delivery people are using it, but unawarely and as a byproduct of it, you start seeing people with wheelchairs using it. You see people, uh, parents p uh, pushing their children in push shoulders, uh, up the ramps. You see elderly people who have their push shoulders and find it difficult to walk up the stairs because of their knees. So they're using this ramp. It's originally designed for 
unloading and offloading for delivery, but now all these other people are using it, all right? So by creating this design process, you end up taking care of particular situations that you weren't expecting. So when you start having that kind of mindset of how am I going to structure and what am I going to implement, let's say now software, you know, so you decide to implement something as simple as Grammarly and go for a corporate account for Grammarly, you know, because it's, you know, it's an easy tool for everyone to have just in case needed, yep. you know, and, but unannounced to you, there's a number of people who are dyslexic who are now all using it. You weren't thinking of that beforehand. And, and we might be saying that they can't write grammar correctly and that's probably not the, not the issue at all. Exactly. Or they might have a spelling issue and you've been hampering them about spelling, but now you've entered this grammar, grammarly, issue, grammarly tool and because you thought there was an overall spelling problem, but now you've unknowingly identified or at least provided to support for individuals. And then they may have come out and said, this has been helpful because I'm dyslexic. So it's creating those proper environments where, again, you're thinking forward for what people are going to need. And you, when you start creating those environments, you know, you create uh, two columns. If I install A, who is this going to help? All right? Yeah. And if I install B, who is this going to help? And then maybe thinking com- column C is, who, is, who else could this potentially help? All right? You know, this is the reason why we're originally building it, and this is the potential byproducts of, wh- of, of, what, we, of what we wanted and what comes out of it. No, totally. And I think that makes makes a lot of sense. I mean, I had never thought that having our team use something like Grammarly could actually have that kind of impact. And I'm I'm pretty sure that a lot of people who will be listening to this will not think that something that small could probably make that big of an impact. So as as a company, it doesn't mean that we have to do big, major structural changes. It's just small tweaks that identify the different groups that we have in our organization, correct? Absolutely. I mean, I mean, You've now, you've now gone to a, a little bit of a different area, and so we'll, we'll, go, back, we'll go to that, and then we'll continue on with yep. the rest of your question, of uh, your first question, or, or whatever <laughs> question that was. Um, so there's a, there's a common myth that it's too expensive to provide accommodations, yep. okay? Well, there's a couple of things. First off, studies have shown that in reality, to provide accommodations, it is anywhere from less than 1,000 to less than 500 euros. Which is nothing. Which is nothing. Even for a small business. Even for a small business. So it's a drop in a bucket. So let's go back to the Grammarly example, for example. Uh, So Grammarly, a corporate package costs, I don't know, let's say 30 euros a month. So you're spending about 160, 80 euros a year, okay? And you originally bought it for, let's say me, okay? Yeah. But unannounced to you, 30 other people are using it. Yeah. Right? So again, you, you originally bought it for one particular person or, or reason, and you find out other people are using it. And then you might find out that, that the other 30 people, that 20 of them are neo-diverse. And even if not the value that we've got out of it far exceeded what, what we've paid for it. Exactly. So that comes to the second. There was a study done uh, recently um, where a third party decided to try to, what's the word I'm looking for, pop the bubble on the myth. Uh, in regards to the cost of providing accommodations. And what they had found out through their study is that to provide accommodations was 7% of what it costs to recruit. Wow, so that, that, that's big. I mean, we know that talent loss is huge at the moment. So 
a little bit of accommodation definitely goes a long way. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, I don't know what the average number uh, for a, a, a company for recruiting. So, I mean, let's see, you fire someone, you then have to go through the process of going through recruiters, putting up job ads, doing interviewing, then, then you have to onboard them, train them if they need training, integrate them. I mean, I don't know, let's say five to 10,000. Easily. Easily versus 7% to provide me Grammarly. It's a, yeah. It's, it's, it's a win-win. If, if you're conscious of it, I think. Because yes. I think the biggest problem is not necessarily being conscious of what one, one can do. Absolutely. So going back to your other question. So now comes the next aspect in regards to coming back to the system. So there was a, uh, there's a, uh, Simon, um, I'm trying to remember his surname now and I forgot it. Um, Simon Preston, he's a colleague of mine in the UK and he's in the process of working with companies in regards to systems and he's developed a quite a, a different system but very linked to neurodiversity. But he has a fantastic analogy which is he compares the, the, the idea of a system to a football pitch. Okay, okay. Um, so the, f- the football pitch is where you have players going up and down the field. You, the, the defense knows where they go, the midfielders know where they go, the, the strikers know where they go, and they all come back. When someone falls behind, someone comes in to fill in to support them. Exactly. You know, when someone's going in for a strike, someone comes in to fill in to, to support them. So it's all about seeing this flow of players going up and down the field where they're supporting one another in every direction to, over, to overall working as a team to get the overall objective. So when you're changing the system, that is what you're looking to do. How can we support individuals? Where can we highlight where they're strong and push them in that aspect and scale that? What can we do to make a system where it flows in our company where there is all this inclusion? So that comes into the aspect in regards to management. And that requires now training management, changing how human resources do that. And before even that can happen, it requires someone from the top who's willing to have the mindset and take the leadership role to move in that direction. Because without leadership support, it all breaks down. It all breaks down, unfortunately. And the leadership needs to pass on that message and to direct everyone below them to move in that direction. So it requires that leadership. There needs to be that leadership and that mindset and willingness to do that. Then you can come down to the human resources and management. And when we take a look at changing culture, we have to take a look at management because the management is, as, as Jason Lawrenston had put it, uh, who is a management consultant, a manager, trainer, and consultant, is that the management is the CPU the operating system of any organization. So if you're going to change the culture, you have to work with management. It's the management that needs to develop the awareness, the skill set to be able to move in that direction. So that's where, again, it's creating systems. It is creating uh, universal design. It's knowing how to support them. It's having proper policies and procedures that flow within your vision and your mission. And it's having leadership leading and taking charge of that. And then comes into, again, from Jason Lorston, he points out three particular key ingredients, um, which is, one, creating a proper environment where individuals can succeed. Second is providing support in the areas where they need support and focusing on their strengths. And then lastly, 
is removing any obstacles from them from being more productive and being success, successful. And that again could be the system that's in place, that could be management that's in place, could be a colleague. Yes, could even be the work environment because exactly. some people don't necessarily work very well in shared environments. Some people don't work well in individualized spaces. Exactly. So yeah, if, if someone is listening us, to us at the moment and maybe sees that this could be something that they need to look into, what would their next step be? So, okay, I've learned that there are neurodiverse people, that there may be people like this in my organization. Maybe I know that I'm not making the most out of all my people. So if I was the leadership person and I need to be more aware, what's my next step? I mean, wh where do I go to learn more about this? Or if I want to do something about it, where, where do I go? Well, you start off by going to josephkmuscat.com. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, I'm aware that you have the podcast and we're going to get into that. Yeah. But um, yeah, but so where do I learn more about this in addition to your, yourself? Well, I mean, there's a lot of content out there on neurodiversity. My website for, is one of them. Um, my consulting services, you know, in, in addition to that, uh, you mentioned my podcast and so forth. So that's one aspect. Uh, but again, if you, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of movement, frankly, going on in the UK in the universe, in the neodiversity community. Um, so if you follow, if you type in universe, neodiversity in the UK, you will find a lot of particular people who I follow and as well as practitioners who I'm in contact with in regards to what the movement's going on. I mean, there's a, I mean, I think right now the, the, the leading edge, I'd say worldwide from my perspective, is that the UK is leading the way. I mean, you have neodiversity, they just recently formed um, with a whole bunch of business communities, neodiversity in business. So they got, you know, Deloitte, EY, Microsoft, a whole lot of major corporations coming in. Um, in fact, the, the current president is, is, a, is an employee or director of Deloitte in the UK. Um, you have individuals such as Amanda Kirby, um, you have e, uh, gen, gen, Genius Within. So these are all particular resources that you can go to. So talking about what I'm talking about. And it's basically going to change the way we perceive things. And I presume it, was, it will affect legislation in the UK, which will hopefully trickle down to everywhere else. Absolutely. I mean, legislation is important. I mean, it, it holds people accountable, which is another aspect as well. When we take a look at right now, when we go back to the, the current system of management, we tend to hire more of a homogeneous, you know, uh, you're the hiring manager, you're looking to hire people like you, all right? Recruiters are, to, to, to a particular degree, hands are tied because they're trying to hire based on what the hiring manager is looking for, all right? So that kind of it's removes- like Checkbox exercise. Checkbox exercise, that removes 90% of potential talent, you know, trying to narrow down to that, 10%, that, that ideal 10%. So, the, not, so now, what organizations need to do as well as within within changing the system is that managers and re recruiters need to be held accountable for bringing in more neo-diverse or more diverse people in general. Definitely. And, and if, if I was that, that recruiter, um, potentially how do I tell someone that's telling me I want this kind of profile that's, you know, an A player does everything perfectly and that's who we need. How do you go of maybe there are other people that don't necessarily fit that that might be a better fit for you. Well, when we take a look at the job description, we have to take a look at one, what is really needed for the job, 
you know, when we take a look at a lot of job descriptions, there's a lot of, you know, give me everything under the sun. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you, you, there's a huge chunk of checks about the, the corporate culture. Then there's what, what we need. And these are the requirements. I mean, many neodiverse people who look at that, I mean, I think everybody kind of looks at that, not just neodiverse people think they're immediately unqualified, you know, or, or I, I have 5% of that and I don't have the other 95% of that. So let's focus on what is really required for the job. Second of all, let's remove all the wants, okay? Because the wants, it's not what the job is it's it, about. No. It's mm-hmm. it about. It's, you know, you, you need someone to do A to B, you know, and do it well. And do it well. End the discussion. You know, and then the wants, you know, you can train that once they're hired. You know, um, the other aspect in that regards is, let's see, a, a simple job description, remove the wants. The, the other aspect is understanding that you, not everybody's going to have what you're looking for. They may have, again, that 5%. Everything else can be trained. I mean, what, we've, what, what studies have found is that when you bring someone in, it's actually not only studies with science, the, what the current movement of what's going on in employment, the current movement of what's going on in employment is that employees want to grow within a company. And they want to grow with a company. In order to have that, they want more feedback and they want more training. So in actuality, if you hire someone you know, who can do that 5%, and you end up helping them grow and train within the company, then in the result, in the end, should I say, they end up filling in those wants. So you don't have to hire someone else to come in. Yeah. Maybe not from day zero, but if you have the right plan and the right support, which is what we're talking about, we'll be able to move a person from maybe level one to level two to level three. Exactly. I mean, it is the other thing too. I mean, when we talk about training, um, let's use a, an example of, of someone who I'm coaching where they're going through a situation where they're very good at a, at a, at a particular aspect of their job, uh, but they're having difficulties in regards to uh, the software. Uh, and they're very self-conscious about it. Now, but they're very good at what they do. Now, of course, the, the, the belief is they just need more training in, in, and more training in, in the area where they're weak in. And it's like, oh, well, then it comes the aspect of the myth that I call zero to hero, okay? There's the, the, the aspect that as soon as they've been given training, that they're, they're going to go from zero to hero, problem solved. If it were that easy. If it were that easy, but that's the myth. And now, the argument that, that, that I would propose to you is that people work in percentages. So the reality is, first off, why are you putting them in a program where they're weak in? You know where they're strong in, so why don't you focus on where they're strong? And then get someone else to fill in the area or assist where they're having difficulties in. This is, again, this is where you focus on strengths and you support challenges. The other aspect in that regards is, is again, the reality is it's never going to be zero to hero. The reality is it's going to be maybe 5%, 10% improvement, maybe 20%, maybe zero improvement. The second aspect to that as well is, is the time. You know, they've taken a three-month course. They've been slowly implementing it. But, you know, they may have had a 10% improvement. But to get that 10% may have taken four months, may have taken five months. So you have to be patient. So that comes down to, 
you know, in, in regards to my, uh, the, the six principles that, that I have in regards to inclusion, which is being people-centric, focus on strengths, support their challenges, being flexible, being reflective. In other words, you know, understand, you know, how they want to be treated. Because in, in other words, how would you want to be treated? And then lastly, being patient. I think patience is definitely a virtue when it comes to managing people, regardless if they're neurodiverse or not. Otherwise, yes. we'll all be throwing people out and in and, and chopping and changing all the time. So this is obviously a very interesting topic, and I'm sure that we can keep going on um, forever talking about this. So we earlier mentioned that you have the website and, and your consulting services. So I want to pivot back to that. So if I was someone that was interested, maybe I've done a little bit of research and I, you know, it's time I implement something. Um, how do they reach out to you or how can you help them? Well, once again, you come to my website, um, josephkimuscat.com. Uh, there's a lot of information on my website. Uh, in regards to what I do and how I can help you. There's also my blog. There's also a link to my podcast, which is Take a Leap and Transform a Neodiversity Journey, which is providing solutions for businesses and how to recognize and how to incorporate uh, solutions for neodiversity. I speak to a lot of high professional talents, CEOs, consultants, directors of companies of how what they have done and how and, 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 and how they prescribe it, how to do it for other businesses. In regards to, in, in addition to that, you know, I provide a free policy template that companies can uh, request from me. And then from there, a policy template, I can help them shape it. But of course, a policy needs muscle. That's where a procedural yeah. manual comes into play. So I can help integrate that procedure manual and that policy into a company and then from there provide training. So one of the things, one of the trainings that I provide is regards to management training. Because yeah, obviously management training, it's, it's, it all starts with management, we said. Yes. So definitely that would be critically important. So hopefully for all of those um, listening um, or watching us really, um, we'll have all the links in the footnotes of this video. So you'll be able to um, hopefully we'll link to the, the policies and your website, so that will make things easier for our guests. Um, it's been a pleasure to have you over. Just before we close off, I want to run through a, a, a couple of questions. So if someone wants to um, read a bit more, is there any specific book or author that you'd recommend people follow? Absolutely. Um, Amanda Kirby. So Amanda Kirby. Um, next up. So we, we were going to mention tools, but you've obviously covered that already. So favorite tool that would help someone in? in, in well, it depends. It depends on the, uh, that, that one's a little bit tough one because it, it all depends on what that person needs. So the tools can vary. So when we, earlier we mentioned Grammarly, it's yep. a very simple, easy tool. Um, that's potentially one tool. But again, it, it comes down to managers need to engage with their employees fr from a, both a holistic approach and a professional approach. And part of that engagement is how can I support you? What do you need for, for where you can get to the next level? Um, and, and again, in, in vice versa, employees need to say to their managers, I want to grow. What do I need to be able to grow? I think that's very important. Sometimes we feel maybe Either we don't listen to employees or employees don't talk. And I think that's a big breakdown of a potential relationship. 
Um, so some closing thoughts for someone listening to us. So maybe some last message you want to pass through to our audience. Sure. Well, let's go off on the last topic um, or the last point, should I say. You know, when we're looking at engagement, you know, when we take a look at statistically, engagement is down worldwide. And that requires a manager to engage. And for a manager to engage requires to have good communication skills. Uh, because you've communicated, this doesn't necessarily mean it's been understood. So ensure that what you've communicated is understood. Uh, that may require having a one-to-one with an individual, which again is having that engagement. The, the other aspect is, is that managers need to become better at transfer of knowledge. Because you think you know it, or because you've hired someone and you think they know it, well, they're not mind readers and neither are you. So that again comes back to good communication skills. Yeah, because it's very easy to deliver something that's not what your boss expects. Exactly. Which, you know, if you're not open to the aspect of, what's what I'm looking for? If you've communicated something and then someone comes, and an employee comes back to you and says, I have questions, and you're not open to those questions, well, then obviously that person is asking for more clarity. And then if you're not open to those questions or patience with those questions, then that will lead into interpretation, which then leads into a final product or service that you're not looking for. Um, And then in the end, you know, they may not, in the next project, will not come back to you and ask questions because you've been so resistant. Sometimes when people are asking questions, they're looking for clarity, and it's not a challenge to a management's authority. Yeah. Definitely. So that will more or less wrap up our podcast. Um, Joseph, it was a pleasure to have you on the show. I'd like to thank our audience for tuning in. And until our next show, your people first. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode. If you're looking to put your people first through HR and payroll software, visit www.buddy.hr to learn more.